This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. I have been waiting for this conversation for so long. We were supposed to record, I believe, in June, and then it got rescheduled to August. It's weird to even say that it's August because I still feel like I'm stuck in March or something. Like, I feel like the summer just flew by. I don't even know what I did. Like, what happened? Where is time going? So tomorrow is September 1st. I thought, what a great episode to end August with. I am speaking with Sarah Nicole Landry, otherwise known as The Bird's Papaya. I am sure all of you follow her on Instagram. She is such a talented content creator, a talented writer. She is a great speaker. A little bit of a fun fact is that we share the same hairstylist. So a few years ago, I moved to the GTA. It was probably, I don't even remember, two years ago, maybe? Yeah, about two years ago. And I was always used to getting my hair really blonde. And so when I moved to the GTA, I had a really hard time finding a hairstylist that would make my hair as blonde as I wanted. So I had tried two or three different salons and it's frustrating because you want your hair to be really blonde and you pay like close to $300 per appointment and you leave with your hair not being as blonde as you wanted. So I remember one day watching her stories and she mentioned where she was getting her hair done And I looked it up immediately and I was like, her hair is super blonde. That is what I want. I am going wherever she goes. And I've been going there for over a year now and it's been amazing. So thanks, Sarah, for the blonde hair. Also, a fun fact, which I forgot to mention during our conversation, is that Lemmy, Sarah's daughter, is hands down the reason that we were able to wean Milo from his soother. I was dreading, and if you followed me for a while, you know how terrified I was of getting rid of Milo's soother because he was so attached to it for bedtime. So what I did was I sat down with Milo on the couch one day, and I was like, where can I find a bunch of pictures of a really cute baby? Because I had heard that people would tell their toddlers that they had to give the soothers away to another baby that needed them. And I was like, oh my God. So I open up Sarah's Instagram account page and there's all these pictures of Lemmy. So I'm going through the different pictures of Lemmy and I'm explaining to Milo how this baby, I'm like, look, Milo, look at this baby. Look how cute she is. She needs your soothers. This baby doesn't have any soothers. So we're gonna give her your soothers because now you're a big boy, you don't need soothers anymore. And I gave him this whole spiel and he was so engaged in the photos of Lemmy and he was like, cute baby, cute baby. And I'm like, I know. So tomorrow mommy's gonna bring all your soothers to her. And it was this whole big thing and it friggin' worked. I shit you not, getting rid of the soother at bedtime, it was a non-issue. And he was reminding us the next night when he didn't have it, that he had to give them to the baby that needed the soothers. So thank you, Lemmy, for helping us wean our child off the soother. 
In this episode, we talk about all kinds of things. I always give guests a little bit of an outline of topics that I think we're going to chat about, but we went all over the place. We both love to talk. After we recorded this episode for my podcast, I went over to Sarah's podcast and recorded an episode for the Papaya podcast. So you can check that out in a few weeks. I will obviously let you know when it's out on Instagram. So without further ado, please welcome Sarah Nicole Landry, otherwise known as the Bird's Papaya, to the Mom Room podcast. This is where like we get packages and I just like shove them in my office. I'm like, I'll deal with that at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's so funny is like, I love when I'm in interviews and and people will say, what's in your junk drawer? And I'm like, I have a junk house. Like (laughs) you guys have just drawers of that shit. I am exploding of junk. Like it's, it sounds like I'm a hoarder. I'm not. I just am a very chaotic person. And because our schedule and our life is so fast paced, it's a lot of like, okay, get this on. Like my I legitimately just whipped pajamas onto my bedroom floor and I will put those pajamas on again tonight. So to me, it's a system, but oh, not, yes. not one that the world would recognize, I guess, right? No, totally. And I'm all about like, I don't want to spend my time trying to make my house look a certain way. On weekends, especially, it's like Milo's home, my husband's not working. I don't want to spend time like vacuuming and putting clothes where they should be. Like I want to take him somewhere and go eat on a patio. And so it's like, you have to kind of choose how you want to spend your free time. No. And that's a hundred percent it. I, the first time, and I don't think I've ever told this before. The first time I ever hired a cleaning company was when I was a single mom. And I know that makes zero sense because I had no income. I was literally paycheck to paycheck, but I also was at a time where I was working two jobs, seeing my kids on the middle of the day of a Saturday and a Sunday, which was the only real time that I had concentrated with them. If I was okay to budget for us to like never eat out or anything like that, if it meant that I didn't have to spend my Saturdays in the middle of a shower scrubbing grime off. And that's not to degrade like what cleaning is. Like a lot of people are really good at like upkeep. I'm not one of those people. So for me, it was like an eight hour job every Saturday and I wasn't seeing my kids. So, you know, when I, when I look at it as like a, somebody reframed it for me once and they're like, you have to stop thinking about delegating those jobs as something that you're underperforming at. And instead look at it as like, you're supporting another business. You're supporting another, you know, in this case, it was a mom and I'm like, I'm supporting her business. She's supporting me by doing this. We're like an ecosystem here. This is the the economy of women. We're kind of collectively coming together and supporting each other. And it it gave me that time back with my kids. So I have no shame and things like that. But now I'm at the point of life where, you know, if the cleaning company is coming, I actually have to clean my house before they come over. This is my problem. And so many people tell me that they're like, just hire a cleaning lady. I'm like, yeah, but you don't know me. I need to organize everything. And I'm like, I don't want her seeing like dirty bathrooms and, you know, like I'm going to tidy up before she comes. So now it's more on me because I have to organize someone coming over to the house. I have to prep for them. Now I have to be out of the house. Our two dogs have to be out of the house because they're like little assholes. Now it's like a whole thing. 
It can be a whole thing. You know what though? At this point, I've really resigned myself to like, what is the worst thing that somebody could say? Like, what what are they gonna walk away from my house and be like, do you know what I know a secret about Sarah Nicole? Is that she's a messy person. Her <laughs> house is disgusting. She has laundry up to the ceilings. Like, I show you all that every Tuesday to my Instagram stories where hundreds of thousands of people are watching. And I'm gonna be insecure about like people who literally come in to help me with those things. Like, no, I'm not, I like. I have to like go through the whole process of like, what's the worst that can happen? Because I think as women, oftentimes, or as moms, especially, we're so programmed to feel like that is a, that is like our identity. That's our job. That's who we are. And if you're failing at any part of that, like you're doomed, you are lesser of a mom. You're not as great. You're not getting it all right. And it, it is so deep. It's so, so deep within us that like, if we don't make the dinners every night, like why are we so apologetic about like ordering out? And like, I, there was part of me that, realized this last year with COVID that we're like, oh, we're supporting restaurants. And Jane's like, we do this normally. Like, stop saying it out loud like that. And I'm like, well, I I just, it felt so great to feel like I was actually doing it to, for a different purpose than, you know, I didn't manage my week. We didn't get groceries in time. We don't have enough food to make dinner. And, you know, I've had to reframe a lot of like, these things, especially coming from being a stay-at-home mom, a lot of those things that used to be my identity while now working and doing that, it's a huge thing. And I think that it's important that we kind of go down the trail of like, why do I feel shame about being behind on laundry? Is anybody out of clothes? No. Is anybody struggling? No. Is there a pile upstairs in the hallway that kind of stresses me out sometimes? Yes. I should probably tackle it at some point, but it's also okay that like I haven't. It's also okay that like, I'm not this like perfect human being on every level of everything. I don't think I've ever projected that I'm a perfect being, but sometimes I worry people think I am the thing about dinners like that I'm so huge about dinners and I hate cooking and I will be the first person to say that I hate planning meals I enjoy going to the grocery store like that's kind of fun me too it's like it's like who you hope to be is who goes to the grocery store right that's why you buy the spinach you're like yeah this is us this week we're gonna be the spinach family and then yeah. it rocks in your fridge. <laughs> yeah yeah and I always say that like I love to show like we get takeout all the time. We rarely eat dinner at the kitchen table. And my mom was just here a few days ago. And I was like, I don't even know why we have this dining room table. Like it takes up so much space and we don't use it. We play board games at ours. (laughs) That's about it. Well, yeah, there you go. And she's like, you need to make your house functional for how you guys live in it. But like you were saying, like I have this like, no, we need a dining room table. We need this like formal area to eat. And it's like, well, why? We don't use it. But it's like, for some reason, I feel like I need to have that with all the chairs around it. And like, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if in the next, I'm going to say 20 years, we'll see that the dining room like dissolves from our world. Because if you look at the way that homes are laid out, we do have a huge emphasis on dining rooms. And straight up, let's be honest, if it came down to hosting, we would use fold-out tables and tablecloths and you wouldn't even know that they were there. We use ours because we have this massive dining table. It's like 14 feet. No, I don't think it's that long, but like it seats 14 people. And we do that because we love to host every single Christmas, every single holiday, and we love to play games, but we legitimately don't eat there unless it's a holiday. We eat on our laps in the living room. And I grew up being like, you sit at the dining room table. So it is still a little, you know, unworking of like how things were to how things are now. And you kind of have to meet people where they're at. Like my kids will open up, talk more, enjoy their space. If they're just sitting in a comfortable seat, maybe it's like sitting up at the island because oftentimes 
again, something that brings me shame, but I'm going to bring it up. My kids don't often eat the same meals as we do. So I often am making them a dinner and then there's us a dinner. And so they'll be sitting and eating while we're cooking our own. And so they're often like sitting at the, at the counter, right? Like that's just what we do. And that's where they talk a lot. That's where they open up. It's not like we're just, even if we were watching TV, I really don't care, but that's not what we're doing. It's just that the dining room table isn't a functional space for us except for games and holidays. So I wouldn't be surprised if over time we knock down those walls and we just have big living spaces and we're like, we're just going to use it. We're going to live in this space. We're going to play video games here. We have such a small living room and a huge dining room and we spend all our time in the living room and never in the dining room. Yeah, exactly. I feel like there's a perception that if you're not all sitting down at the exact same time at this, you know, specific table, then it's not a quality family dinner time, which is completely, that's not true. It's just not true. It's not true. I am looking forward to having routine in our lives again with school back. Like as much as it's been lovely to have like no lunches to be made the night before, I am looking forward to the consistency of a schedule and starting to have that. And that's where dinner time will land. You come home, we do your homework, we do we'll unpack the backpacks, make the lunches, have the dinner reset for the next day. I am looking forward to that a little bit because I think right now we're kind of like the wild west of living. It's like, how many snack sessions can I have in a day? And then like, I'll maybe have a bowl of cereal at 7 PM, right? Like it's just, it's so chaotic that I am, I am looking forward to a little bit of more consistency. So yeah, benefits to it all. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there, and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals, so you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding, and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. 
Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right, the quality is unmatched, you are going to love it, and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. So I had Milo when I was 34 and I remember thinking like nowadays that is typical. People are having kids later on, but I think my mom had three of us before she was 25. You've kind of had this unique experience where you have had children in your twenties and now also you've had Lemmy at 34, 35. I'm 36. I turned 36 like two weeks before she was born. Yeah. So 36. So When you think back to having your first three, what that experience was like versus what your experience is like in postpartum and as a mom with Lemmy now, what are some of the major differences that you have noticed? This is a little bit nuanced because it's two totally separate relationships. My first, I was married at 19. I got pregnant at 20. I had my first at 21, uh, pregnant at 22, second at 23, pregnant at 24, third at 25. So by 25, I now have three children under my belt. This is just like, that's a lot to even process and think about. But it was a very, I was so naive back then. There was a lot of you know, perceptions of what I thought motherhood was. And the naivety was so lovely because you didn't really know when you were doing something wrong, you were just winging it. And I I loved that about that. It, It wasn't perfect, but it was what it was. And I also remember that a lot of conversations around mental health weren't really there yet. So I do recall, you know, postpartum very much felt like a surge of people coming into our house when I was barely ready to get dressed yet. I remember, you know, certain, certain things I will always never forget, like how people filled our freezer with food. My grandmother brought over cooler stuff, my mom and the different things she did that really helped because I don't think that we knew what we were doing or how to function in that world. And then we moved six hours away from support and family my third baby was born completely away from any type of support. So it was a very, very difficult time. And I thought it was just normal to end your days crying on the floor of your kitchen. Like I just thought that that was a normal part of motherhood. I, if I go back and look at it, I'm going to go ahead and say that I definitely, I was diagnosed with postpartum anxiety with my first I declined medication. I just like was like, I'm going to push through it. That felt like a really proud thing to do just to kind of push through your mental health and, and, you know, pray over it and all of these different things. And not saying that prayer doesn't work, but it just medication does too. And it was also very, again, nuanced because I couldn't afford formula. So in order to go on the medication back then, I would have to stop breastfeeding and I couldn't do that because I couldn't afford it. And we didn't have two cars. Only my ex-husband was working. And so I was home with the kids with no vehicle all day. These are all things that can kind of add up to a very stressful environment, low income, being away from family, being very young, having mental health issues, but not having them identified. 
those are very, very different experiences. But in terms of like my body and being younger, pregnancy was a much easier experience. I had a lot more energy for a lot of it. Now, first of all, the pregnancy was a shit show. Like I, I was shocked at how it felt to be pregnant at an older age and how my body took to it entirely differently. I struggled a lot. I had prenatal depression, which was actually tied to the history of never dealing with my depression before. I had never known that I had depression or, you know, postpartum of any type. So when I became depressed in pregnancy, it didn't make sense to me until I went to therapy and we dove back into a lot of the whys. I had a lot of panicked feelings around giving birth. It's my fourth birth and I was completely panicked. Again, came back from past birth experiences of feeling alone. You know, if you took the last experience of being, you know, 25 about to give birth to your third baby away from all of your friends and family and knowing that you have like no access to support during the days, no wonder I had all the this like built up fear into giving birth the fourth time, even in a brand new situation, because there was just so much that hadn't been dealt with. This time feels a lot different because there is a different relationship for one. I'm also a lot older. I'm a lot better at advocating for myself. I dealt with my mental health a lot better. I was very open and honest about it, went to therapy. And I also, I'm working this time, so I'm not at home, but I did try and do both by myself. Like I really thought like, oh, it's just one baby. That's pretty easy. And it wasn't. And I ended up, you know, getting support between my mom and hiring a part-time nanny. And these things were pivotal and non-optional for my past life. Like they just weren't even, that was nowhere in the realm of things that I could do back then. It just, it just didn't exist. I could never have had the financial ability to do that. I don't even think I would have allowed myself to do that because I was very prideful in being a mother and asking for support felt like failure. So they're just such different experiences. But I think with age, you get a lot better at just like seeing yourself through things. I think you get a lot better at advocating for yourself or knowing what your boundaries and capacity are because you have so much more lived experience But I don't, I I think a lot of them stay the same. I think mom guilt is going to exist no matter what. I think now with social media, it is amplified because you have the pressure of everybody else's parenting styles on you. I mean, I go from people telling me like, you should be sleep training to, I hope you're not going to be sleep training to, you're feeding her purees. Oh my gosh, you're so old school. You need to get caught up to, you know, baby led weaning is like the only way to do anything. And, you know, all these terms that I'm like, I didn't, these didn't even exist before. And I've got three kids that are pretty good eaters. Like we've had no issues. It's so funny how people are very zoned in on parenting with, with you, but for you, like you're just like, people almost talk down to me. Like I was a first time mother and let's be honest in society, we talk down to first time mothers. We're all like, sweetheart, it's your first baby. We do it all the time. We're like first time moms, first time moms, like so worried, so all over the place, so scheduled, like you just wait. That's how we've talked about women and mothers. And so now I, I have my fourth, but it's my first in the eyes of so many people. And there's a lot more, it's like an open range, right? Of like how people parent now. There wasn't even these types of books and social media when I did it before. So I was just, I was, I look back on photos on Facebook and my kid's not buckled properly. These are great things to be proud of, but they're just things that I'm like, you notice it now. You're like, oh man, like I was giving my kid different kinds of foods and we, we did like foods three days at a time of a puree and then you swapped it. I mean, just everything was so different. There wasn't people in a waiting for you to fail or constantly ready to correct you as you go, right? There's just, 
so much ends up on the scrap room floor and my close friend stories because it'll be like, oh, I put her down for a nap and I left her pacifier clip on. Like, I don't want people to accuse me of something. I don't want this to happen. Or, oh, she's sleeping on her stomach there. Like, I don't think I can handle what people will say. And it's like, I'm filtering so much in anticipation of how will I be judged as a mother? And that was never something I did 10 years ago. I always think about that. Like I think about my mom, she had three kids. She didn't have the internet. She couldn't just quickly put something in Google and then get overloaded with information about what she should be doing, shouldn't be doing. And then social media just adds to that, of course. One of my questions for you was, I was listening to one of your episodes and you talked about when Bo had the COVID exposure And so you followed guidelines and had to do the isolation within your home. And then what happened as a result of that, my jaw was like sore after listening to that because I couldn't believe that that had happened to you. I never heard you talk about that on social media. Because I couldn't. It's trauma for me now. It legitimately is a trauma. Very much so. And I remember I made a reel about we were trying to get Milo more comfortable to wear a mask. He's three. And so I was like he's going to have to start wearing a mask if this mask thing continues. So we're, you know, trying to work with him to get it on. And hundreds of comments about how like I'm abusing my child and you know what I mean? And so I felt for you in that story. And then I wondered if that kind of impacted how you share things about Lemmy today because that happened. Yeah. So I'll kind of give like a brief backstory for anybody listening. Essentially, we had just given birth. Cases were at a very, very high point. I think about 5,000 a day. And my son got a letter home from school saying that he was one of the classmates who was in close contact. So I'm guessing it was in his cohort that there was a kid who had COVID, had tested positive. And the advice was to keep them masked and separated within six feet of your family members. And, or like they could have like option of being, you know, unmasked in their own space. And so we gave my son consent. We're like, what do you want to do? Like what's best for you? And he's like, I want to live in my room. Like I want to be up there. So we gave him like an at-home hotel experience where he like put in orders and I was like his concierge. Like we had so much fun with it. To this day, he says it's like, that was the, that was his living the dream moment. Like he thought it was so great. But as I was sharing it openly, I'd known so many other people who had been through it. It wasn't weird or abnormal for me, but I guess what happened, it was just this bad timing of somebody had tweeted the experience of them putting their child into the room and them crying on the other side of the door and her feeling helpless on the other side. And people are like, why are you locking your kid up? Like, this is awful. And the thing is like, I don't blame that mother at all. These are very scary times. We, the the context of what it was in those days versus how it is now is very different. There was no vaccines yet. There was a lot of just so much going on and a lot, a lot, a lot of fear. So I have this newborn baby. Like I went, as soon as we got that letter home, like I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed because it was like, you felt like you were doing everything. And now I have this brand new baby. My anxiety around protecting her was so high. I just didn't even know how to process to do the right thing. So it was, we had him with us. We had to change our custody schedule so that we had him for the full two weeks. He was great. I mean, everything was good and fine. And I casually talked about it in my Instagram stories that this was happening. And, you know, Bo was in the best of spirits. He was really taking this on and he had, you know, chosen to do this. We were having fun with doing his, you know, concierge thing. And next thing I know, there was thousands upon thousands of these groups who were calling for people to 
call CAS on us, essentially. So all of a sudden, they're like providing my name, all the information, how to call children's aid and report us. So I lost my shit. Like I broke down. I've, I've never been in a position where I'm like doing everything, quote unquote, right. And following guidelines, which people can believe one thing or the other. In that case, we were like very much like we would like to follow guidelines you know, trust science here. We spoke to public health and I was like, am I doing, am am I doing everything right? Like, did I misunderstand this? And they're like, no, you're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing. Like, I'm so, they were like, we're so sorry this is happening. A couple of people from Children's Day even reached out and were like, we're not following up on this. Like, please know it's okay. But just the, like the perception that people would feel that it was okay to have my child taken from me because we were doing what felt most right. And you have to remember this entire last year, everybody's having to do what feels most right in an entire year that feels wrong. You're navigating things that we have no tools over. There is no, there is no way of like figuring this out. And it was the very people who were fighting for advocacy for their own children, wanting to unmask their children or wanting to free their children were also so not wanting me to have the same freedom of choice based on comforts that we had. And it took me almost two months to share Bowden in my stories again at all. Like, and he knew this was going on and he was, he was more worried about, he's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I wish people just knew that I was fine and happy. And I was like, there's nothing we can do now. It's, it's, it's out there. It's gone. But like, I want you to be aware that this has happened. I had to like, I had to contemplate with myself, like, do I contact my ex-husband and like tell him this is going on? Like he knew he was aware of the, the methods, you know, that everything that was chosen and, but it just made me so on edge. I never felt more vulnerable in that space ever. And I just felt like, oh my gosh, my kid could be taken from me for something like this. It was so scary. And so it's caused me to not talk about those things anymore. Like I've gone, gotten vaccinated. People ask me all the time, are you vaccinated? I'm like, hell yeah, I am. But I'm not talking about it anymore, y'all, because I can't, I can't. Every time you bring anything up about this pandemic anymore, it, it causes so much. And people are like, you should be advocating for the vaccine. You'd be out there. And I'm like, I don't think you realize that I, I just can't anymore. This is so traumatic for me now. People call children's aid to get her son taken away from me. Like I, I, I cannot, I can't get there. And so I'm very just like, I'm protective over certain things, but I also don't want my freedom of sharing to be gone. And I, I just had to work through a lot of the emotions that have come with that experience of that many people going behind your back collectively gathering and fighting to have your child taken away from you for something that we were told was the right best thing to do and that we followed. So, you know, if I could, if the thing is I have to think about is he tested negative, had he tested positive, how would I have felt? And like, it did, cause it did cause me to question my own, like, thought process. And like, if I'm like, no, we asked him consent. Like we did all of these things. Like I felt really good about it, but it was weird that other people didn't feel really good about it. And now I've noticed that similar to what you said about the masks, this child abuse statement is being thrown around like it is nothing. And it's really devastating because children are genuinely in need of help in a lot of scenarios and parents trying to do the right thing in a pandemic is not is not what I would consider child abuse. And I don't think that words like that should be thrown around very lightly at all, even if that's in some way of thinking for some people that if you think that that might be a form of child abuse, I don't think we should be calling CAS on each other for wearing kids wearing masks. Like I just, it just blows my mind. And so you mentioned before that 
obviously you get unsolicited comments about things that people see you doing with Lemmy. Like, oh, you're giving her purees. You're doing this. You're doing that. Like, like it matters. But because of that, is that why you don't go on social media and say, here's how we're doing our feeding. You know, we decided to do this for her sleep. Or is it just because it's not important to you? So you don't feel like you have to share it. But do you specifically not talk about those things that you're doing with Lemmy because you know what people are going to come back with? Everybody has an opinion. <laughs> it's it's more of like understanding the power of influence, right? If you look at these videos of like the what I eat in a day and knowing that some people will literally just go and start eating those exact things that that person is posting because they want to look like that person, forgetting that like we could literally all eat the same things and exercise the same way and look different. I recognize that there is a level of influence there that if I started doing things a certain way, like for instance, let me got very sick over having oats. Imagine I was like, oats are the worst. Don't eat oats. Let me can't have oats. We're doing following a program with no oats. No, it's her allergy. It's her thing. I don't even know if it's an allergy, but like it's her thing that happened. So we don't need to like go through that with everybody. And I just don't want, I guess, even as we talk about sleep, I just always try to make it like a me experience. Like this is just what we're doing and whatever. Like I don't try and make it like, this is the best way. This is the way like parenting is such a individual experience. And each baby is so different. Each circumstance is so different. Like I might be really into baby led weaning all the time if we were okay with like giving Lemmy a bath after mealtime every single time because it's really messy, right? Or, you know, I might be really into a little bit more sleep training if we weren't already getting like an adequate amount of sleep, right? So if there if there were friends, like I have friends who are going through a sleep training, they're getting like three hours, like it becomes like a necessary point, right? Where like mom needs some sleep, like we got to do something. I'm not at that point. So we, I don't really need to do sleep training, but we get a lot of comments around like, you know, if I even say like, oh, like Lemmy had a really upset stomach last night. She had a really upset stomach the first time she had prunes, for instance. She was up like just squirming a lot in the night and crying and it's really abnormal for her. So this is one night, like a totally out there, just kind of happened night. And immediately the response is, you should be sleep training. And I'm like, you have no idea the experience. I'm not even against sleep training, but you have no context to what is actually going on. So I think it just makes me be like, I don't ever want to be like hard on anything. So we'll show her like doing baby led weaning. I show her having purees. I show her, you know, having having all the perfect setup for feeding. And then I have her like sitting in the backyard on like a blanket. Like there's just really just trying to like roll with it a little bit and not be so like not putting ourselves in a box in terms of like how we're doing anything, because I think that's where it gets really sticky and tricky and where I fall into traps for myself before is being like very rigid on how things are done and then feeling like you can't change your mind. And I'll say that about like, I used to post what I was eating all the time. And eventually like, because I have IBS and I have so many different like food issues, I can't, I'm not posting about what I'm eating anymore because everybody has an opinion on how you eat and how you live and how you do things. And they have no experience in my own body. And I think that's the same for motherhood, right? Like we do have to kind of encourage each other in a way to like trust our instincts. And if you don't have those instincts, like allow people to go and read the books and do what makes them most comfortable, makes them feel best about, and just support them through that decision. One thing that I've changed, because it's very easy to see somebody going through something and have the solution because you've been through it. But what I do now is, hey, I actually went through this. So showing you any support, if you ever want to talk about it or hear what we did, like I'm, I'm here for you, as opposed to 
this is the answer. This is what you need to do because that happens a lot. And that the, the, this is what we need to do answers. There's going to be like 45 different versions of it. Right. So it's, I think for me, I've just really reflected on, cause I used to do that a lot. I used to always interject my experiences into others. You know, if they were, if they were struggling with, you know, how their baby was going down, I'd be like, Oh, here's the perfect swaddle blanket. I swear by it. It is the best. Instead, I'll be like, Hey, I went through that too. If you ever want to chat about it, like I'm, I'm here, like I'm just here. And I think that I just want to create more of a community experience as opposed to interjecting how things should be done, quote unquote, because I've done this four times now and I've done it differently every single time. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. I always say there's so many variables in each mother's situation, the support she has, you know, the baby, the temperament of the baby, the mental health of the mom. Like I tried baby led weaning for five seconds. My anxiety was so high that I was like, this might be best practice, but it's not best practice for me because I don't want to feel this anxiety every time I have to feed my son. And it's best practice now. It didn't even exist 10 years ago, or I didn't hear about it. You know what I mean? Like we didn't even do things like that 10 years ago. So it's so fascinating. We have best practices. And I'm like, I have three grown kids that never did this. No, for sure. And sleep training, it's the exact same thing. We were in a situation where 
My husband's a physician. He's so used to getting up, falling back asleep instantly. So he had the monitor most nights and he was fine with that. So we didn't have to do sleep training. If that wasn't the case, we would have done it. But yeah, so every situation is different. And I like how you said just supported is best, no matter what decision families are making. I wanted to talk a little bit about mom guilt and situations like mom guilt. Before I had Milo, I I knew that this was a thing that existed and people kind of talk about it as if it's like a joke almost like, oh, mom guilt. But then once I was actually in it, I was like, wow, this is a problem. Like it actually can suck the joy out of moments that should be enjoyable because I'm sitting here ruminating about something irrational. Meanwhile, my husband's in the moment, you know, like enjoying himself because he doesn't have the same thoughts that I do. So do you experience mom guilt and what are the situations that kind of bring that emotion up for you? Yeah, I definitely experience mom guilt. And it's, and again, it's very similar to what I said early on. It's layered within the, what I, even how my mom is, my mom is like, if you were to pair Martha Stewart with mother goose, like that is my mom. (laughs) My childhood was like themed weeks. We had a very organized life. Everything was just very proper. Our meals were very square. They Everything was just like, we had a routine for everything. I grew up in a very, very incredible environment. And so I struggled being a mom and not being that mom. Like I didn't even like doing crafts. I was like, it doesn't make sense. We're doing this for nothing. It doesn't even do anything. I liked baking because I was like, well, at least this is a craft that goes towards like a food or something. So I, I just struggled with different parts of parenthood and, and the fact that I hated hated parts of it. Mom groups, I never really, I always felt like it didn't connect because everyone wanted to just you know, discuss their kids and the development of their children and what they weighed and what they were eating and what they were doing. And I was like, I just want to know how I just want to shoot the shit with y'all. Like, this is so weird. And I just felt on the fringe of like so much of parenthood and I did, not that I was like edgier or anything like that. It just, <laughs> it just wasn't connecting for me. And so I felt a lot of my guilt came from not being this, what I envisioned as a mother, which was, you know, the Martha Stewart, mother goose version and having to come to a place of really accepting who I am as a mother. And this, this last round in time has come from basically working for myself. I know I started doing this when my girls were young, but I wasn't earning an income. So I just did it on the side and I was blogging and, and had a little Etsy shop for, for many years more than a decade later, we're 13 years in now of the birds Maya, and I, you know, have an income now. It's a full, it's a full-time job, if not a 24 seven job. And it's hard because it's a job that I've chosen. So it's difficult for me to, you know, kind of go through the expectations of myself, what I really want to be doing. I really want to be doing this stuff. And then also having a baby that I really want to spend time with and knowing that it's okay to want both, but that guilt will come. Like when you leave to go do something, there is that part of you that's like, am I going to regret this later? I'm never going to, and people will say to you, you never get this time back. Yeah. saying you're never going to have again. I've never heard anybody say that to my husband. I've never heard somebody pull up to my husband's DMs. Not that he has social media, but I've never heard him get an email being like, you are never going to get this time back. Would you reconsider your job? Like, do you think that maybe you should stay home until they're at least in school? That's never happened to him. But because we have these past experiences, this generational of, you know, moms who stayed at home and had the expectations of doing the meals and doing the home and doing the whole thing layered upon like rearing your children well, and then 
put yourself into a career position, which a lot of mothers and women have careers now as well, and then smash it all together, the levels of expectations are the same. Our plates are just fuller. So for me, it came from my biggest mom shame. And it took me a long... I had a nanny for about a month before I said a word about it. And finally, someone was like, I just don't know how you do it all. And I thought, I've got to stop this. I've got to stop that people are looking like I am doing it all because my mom is showing up at like 7am so I can get my hair and makeup done most days. Like she's an early riser. So she loves to just come over and she brings me a coffee. Like there's, there's just these little tiny things that I'm like, my day isn't the same without those things. I would be, you know, a hot mess without these things. I have a nanny that's coming two times a week. These are huge, huge things that I can't let people just think that you can have this like massive career job and do motherhood simultaneously without support. Like it, it was just one of those things that once somebody was like, I just don't know how you do it all. Like I struggle so much, like even getting anything done, like getting my teeth brushed feels like a lot. And I was like, fuck, like I'm layering onto people's mom guilt. I'm creating it because I'm, I'm so guilty about having support and feeling weird about that because I feel so layered with expectation that I'm not even allowing myself, you know, these moments. And, and I, I found myself at one point we were laying down and going to bed and my husband was just like rolled over. And I was just like in my thoughts of like everything of, you know, motherhood and job and, you know, what's the right decision and how am I, am I a good mom and all this stuff? And, and I just looked at him and I was like, I want to be a dad the next life. Like, that's what I want. I just want to be a dad. I just want to live my life. I want to see my baby when I see my baby and like have this beautiful bond with them, even though I see them two hours a day and you see them 18, (laughs) you know, like there's all these different, I just felt like the dad experience when the woman has the bad experience of parenting, it's so frowned upon. But yet when a man has it every single day, it's like admired. They're providers, they're respected. And when women are like working mothers, it's it's like this weird oxymoron of like, they can't exist at the same time or you're somehow a bad mom or not good at your job. And they've even looked at like the pay wage gap. If you look at the show, the Netflix show Explained, they actually showed that the pay wage gap beyond racial differences, which is definitely there. If you just go straight between men and women, the pay gap is not necessarily between men and women, it's between men and mothers. Because they, they actually say that it's discouraged that if you're a mother to present that in your interviews, to have your children displayed on your desk at work, it's seen as a weakness because if your child is like sick or you have to go home or you have to pick them up from school or forgot their lunches or you might be late from a drop-off or a pickup, whereas a husband who has children or a man who has children, I should say, has displayed pictures of their children in their office, it's seen as like, oh, they're going to be a great worker because they're a provider. This is serious for them. That same respect isn't shown the same way. They've actually they've actually stated and shown that single mothers are some of the best workers that exist because they have everything on the line. And so even though they're mothers, they, they try and overwork to prove themselves knowing they might get called away for a sick kid that they need to go and tend to. So, you know, there's all these like facts and information, but it's still the mom guilt exists while trying to do both by allowing myself to have a career that I worked for and to also be a mom and to have support within that. Right. And so it's very layered. And I think it's a lot of history kind of like melding itself together now in our now and really just supporting moms. And I, and I still think to this day, stay at home moms are probably shit on the most 
And I think because we do have this expectation that you must be able to have all this free time and get everything done. Like I did it for 10 years. It's very chaotic and very, very hard. And there's not a lot of mental health support. Like you talk about, you know, different levels of support that people have and, you know, you know, financial support might be there, but emotional support isn't always there for moms who are staying at home. And there's a lot of guilt for them. How do they even express like a need for a break? Like people consider them to be on a break. So yeah, I think it exists for working moms, stay-at-home moms, single moms, all of it. I think it exists for everybody. And I think it's just so layered into what we've generationally known as what a mother is and what it actually is in this day and age. Yeah. I feel like me growing up, my mom was for the most part a stay-at-home mom. And that was kind of like the ideal. I was like, oh, like that would be sweet. Like stay at home mom, you know, like we always had dinner on the table. Like, you know, she baked all the time, drove us to our practices. Like she was just always there. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do that. You know, I was addicted to going to school. And so I was in school forever. I had my 12 month maternity leave from my PhD program with Milo. And I was like, I cannot be a stay at home mom. I didn't no, like and that's it. Okay. Yeah. And that's okay. I did not feel fulfilled at all. I was like, I need more. I need to be doing something. I need to be busy and creating and using my brain all the time. And like, it just was not for me. And I was like, wow, like my whole life, I was like, that's the ideal. Like stay at home mom. You know, my husband's a surgeon. Financially, we could do that. Like me to be a stay at home mom. So now that Milo is in daycare, I kind of have that, like you were saying, every once in a while, I catch myself like, hmm, is this what I should be doing? Like, is this right? Like to drop him off at daycare so that I can... Especially because people will view it as a choice that you have. Like if you were a single mother, people would be like, that's necessary. You got to go work. You got to go provide. But because you have a spouse or a partner that is providing, it no longer feels like it becomes a choice for the woman involved because they are now considered to be, you, you should be at home rearing children. But it's just this really, it's a subtle thing that exists within us, but it's so layered upon these like, basically patriarchal society shit. For sure. Okay. Before we end this, I have a couple quick, fun questions that I wanted to like throw at you. Okay. So three things you must have in your purse at all times. At least 45 receipts that I should be <laughs> showing to uh, like balancing my books with um, okay. at, at least 45. I will always have a fit glow lip serum I am sponsored by them. I'm going to disclaim that, but I was a customer first. So I also will disclaim this. It's my, it's the best product that exists. Like I'm going to go with like a non, I actually always carry a diaper in my purse because I'm very bad at remembering diaper bags. So I just always have diaper in my purse now. Just in case. Just in case. What is your Starbucks order or your Tim Hortons coffee order? Mm, they're very, very different. So my Starbucks order is the brown sugar oat shaken espresso iced or hot. They're both delicious. I can get in decaf now because they give me anxiety. And the my Tim Hortons order is a large coffee with two almond milk and four sweetener. I did not know Tim Hortons had almond milk. Not every location, but mine does. Yes. Oh, okay. I'm going to start asking. Yeah. If you had to choose one last meal, like if you were on death row, let's say, let's get grim. What would your last meal be? Ooh, I'm like edgy, allergic to lobster, but I love it. So I would say that or like a classic bowl of spaghetti. Like it has to be perfect, but like a, just with like a really light tomato sauce on it, maybe a little bit of parm cheese, like 
all the things I'm allergic to. Like I want all of my allergies layered into one meal and just like, let me go out. Let me shit my pants as I exit this world. (laughs) Is there a drink that you would pair with that? An alcoholic beverage? An alcoholic? Mm, Probably not. If I'm going to get, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for Coke Zero. Okay. That's what my husband drinks. Okay. Yeah. Delicious. All right. Favorite chip flavor? Ooh, there, it doesn't exist anymore, but it, the Doritos guacamole or the Miss Vicky's jalapeno. Okay. I wasn't expecting that. This is one of my favorite questions to ask people. Who was your childhood crush? And we're both 36 years old. So I'm very curious. Darren Hayes of Savage Garden. He's gay. I wasted a lot of good energy on that. I loved him. I ask everybody this question. Like I have seen hundreds and hundreds of people's answers. Never have I heard that answer. Darren Hayes. I thought, you know what? I liked liking somebody that not everybody liked. I I felt like I had this like niche, this niche experience. And I went to a concert one time and I made a shirt and he looked at me in the eyes and I thought, oh my God, it's happening. (laughs) And uh, later found out that he is married to a man. And I was like, well, I mean, good for him. I guess if nobody, if no woman can have him, (laughs) then we're good. (laughs) That's hilarious. Mine was Jonathan Taylor Thomas and then Hanson. Yeah. You know what? The Hanson boys, Taylor Hanson. Oh, he's still so attractive. My gosh. If you could have dinner with anyone in the world, who would it be? Britney Spears. Oh, that's lovely. I love that answer. If we could do a round table though, I also want Reese Witherspoon. Okay. She can host it. I'll allow that. Okay. If you had 24 hours alone, you could be anywhere, do anything. What would you do? Where would you be? That is such a good question. I think I would just love to plot myself at on a resort somewhere with no Wi-Fi and a good book. There is something about being in a good book and how the hours just pass and pass and pass and pass. But like being in an environment where somebody could serve you drinks and foods, you really don't have to like leave the book experience. It's just beautiful. Yeah, when my husband and I go away, we haven't done it in a long time, but when we do, that's one of my favorite experiences is just plopping down and reading a really, really good book. And he'll also read a really good book or he'll play something on a phone and we just kind of sit there and we're just like, there beside each other, but in totally different experiences. Yeah. Oh, I love that answer. Okay. So to end the conversation, I thought people probably already know where you are, but where can people find you? And also where do you see, I was so excited for you to get the office. Like that is so exciting. Mm -hmm. So what do you see happening at, I'm going to call it the birds papaya headquarters in five years? Yeah. You know, I was one of those people that really didn't think that everyone had a team until I realized everyone had a team and I was just like struggling by myself. So I hired somebody part-time who became full-time and then COVID happened, which made it really difficult. So I ended up hiring two more people, one part-time, one full. So there's four of us now total. And I needed the office because I really worried about everybody's mental health after this year. I wanted us to have a space that we could be together that separated my work and life a little bit because again, like my tits will leak if I hear a baby cry and it makes it hard to get things done. And so my huge goal, if I'm going to be really honest, is I really want to bring people who are entrepreneurs 
just like I started blogging because I was lonely in motherhood, entrepreneurship is also very lonely and it can feel like you have a very public community, but you're, you're day to day, very, very alone. So I do have this, you know, hope and vision for it one day being some sort of a community where like, it might be my workspace that's like severed from it, but that we have a community space as well that supports creators, that supports entrepreneurs and just allows people to come and work, but feel like they have legitimacy to it and community with it. Because I think when you're like at home on your phone, on your laptop, in your living room, it's really hard for other people to take you seriously. It's really hard to take yourself seriously. And not everybody has office space. So what if we like dreamt up a space that would like kind of like a co-working space, but like built around creators? If anybody poaches this idea from me, I hope you don't do it in my hometown, but do it anywhere else. <laughs> but I, I, I really just have such a heart for people feeling lonely. And, and I think that when you're not so lonely and when you are with other people, when community breeds good ideas, it breeds creativity and it takes away a lot of the shame that happens and coexists with, you know, being an entrepreneur. So that's what I would love to see happen. Yeah, for sure. That's such a great idea. If you weren't such a drive away, I would go, (laughs) I would go create. (laughs) But think about it. Like, even if you think about when I started having a blog and I'll be quick, but when I started having a blog, you had to have money to start a blog. You had to hire a designer. You had to do all that stuff. And now I'm able to be like, okay, let's just like hire a designer. Back then I had to like code my own blog by like Googling how to do it. When it came to camera equipment, it took me like years and years to get away from just using a phone. And phones are incredible now. They weren't incredible five years ago. So it was a long time before I ever could afford equipment. And so what if we had a space, like what if we created a way for creators to be able from the ground floor, not have to be expected to have five to 10 thousand dollars of like startup money to have quality content like what if we allowed you know spaces to exist where people could come in and co-share camera equipment or backdrops and not have to just like it's like this hurry up and wait type of thing that happens for so many entrepreneurs where you're like you work and you work and you work and you hustle and you grind you do all the stuff and you're not making any money and the first money you make is just to buy the equipment to continue doing your job like it just doesn't even add up for me small businesses already have like the smallest margins and I just think it would be really nice if not even just like Instagram creators I mean like small business shops to be able to come in and create their own content or photographers to have you know opportunity I just think there's so many different entrepreneurial creator things out there. And unless you have the startup money, you're kind of like, what are you going to do? Even just collaborating with other people that are in your similar space. I went for dinner with another TikTok mom. And so we were making TikToks together and we're looking at each other, use TikTok. And we both learned something. She was like, oh my God, what did you just do right there? You can like yeah, bring the yeah, time bar over. I'm like, yes. yes. <laughs> and like, just like sharing tools. You know, someone might be a great podcast editor, whereas you're good at editing images. 100%. And that's exactly it. It's like, nobody can be you. So be okay with the trade secrets. Be okay with talking shop with each other. Be okay with other people literally doing the exact methods you do, knowing that they aren't you. So there's no threat there. We have a threat response that goes off on us as women, especially that feels like our jobs are constantly threatened because historically they have been by other women. If there's only one seat at the table for a woman, of course we feel this like guttural thing. That's like, no, don't come after my things. And so we hold information at our chest. Community changes that helping each other changes that when you like for you and I sitting down right now, both of our communities will now have opportunities to get to know each other. And we're not, they're not walking away out of my yard and going to yours. They're actually 
mostly just, you know, we're breaking down, we're breaking down the fence and we're just growing collectively, right? So there's a lot to be said for that without plagiarism. I still take issue with plagiarism, oh. don't plagiarize, but everything else, community. <laughs> I had that happen to me the first time. And I thought of you actually, because it happened to me and I noticed it right before bed. And so now like I had a hard time sleeping. I was like, someone just posted my video, didn't credit me. And it was a vulnerable video. And they had like half a million views on their reel. And they just like took my video. I was so upset. And then I thought about you, about how a lot of people use your images for things that you're totally against. But I have one right now that somebody did a tweet of and it's gone like millions and millions of shares all over Facebook and nobody has credited me. Nobody has tagged me except for like some of my followers commenting on it. And it's like, shit, it's not even about like, oh, I want to grow my audience. It's about like, that's my face and my body. Like give me some credit. But even like your, to be honest, what actually burns is your words. When your words are taken, I, I found this recently. I saw this post that came up on my explore feed and it was like my exact words and my exact, my exact post and edit on somebody else's body. And I was like, wait, what? You can't, that's not a thing. Like you can't just take, like, of course there's very similar ideas out there, but word for word, taking somebody's entire concept and applying it to yourself is like, you know, it's your lived experiences. It's your work, your words like that. That's where it really hurts is when words are taken and reused, like pure plagiarism. And it's taken me a long time to even feel like I'm allowed to say that because people are like, you have a lot of followers. Why do you even care? But it's like the ethics around it. I would never steal somebody's. Even TikTok makes me feel like really weird because it is all like reusing somebody's work. Like you're taking somebody's idea and then you're like copying the trend and the original creator never gets recognized anymore. So within the TikTok realm, we now have people just straight up copying each other's work and thinking that that's okay because it was a trend. And it's like, no, like you can't, you can't steal somebody's poetry, for instance, and be like, oh, I just hopped on the trend. Like you have to be, and I always ask, like, if I'm taking somebody's like concepts or ideas and or any in any way like I go and like ask for consent like is it okay like I really love you to this post do you mind if I do something that might be like in line with it I want to give you credit for it and they're like oh like of course like nobody usually nobody's ever told me no but I do think it's a bit of a wild west so community has to exist but also with like some safe boundaries to like support each other's work not just like appropriate it all the time yeah, for sure. Yeah, the reel that someone took, it was all like video of Milo in his newborn days. Mm. And it was it was my voice, like a voiceover. Oh, no. So I was like, oh my God. Was, like, it's yeah. probably one of those pregnancy accounts. They take everything. I messaged her and she took it down, but I was like, how dare? Yeah, that's your child. Uh, I know it was, uh, yeah. Anyways, I, I thought of you because I know that happens to you a lot. And I was like, well... But it's like community over competition, right? And just like honoring, honoring boundaries and consent. Like when you, when you create these different like respect bridges was what I like to call them is I just called them that right now for the first time, but respect bridges. Like, I just think that when those happen and if we can create community like that and support each other in very real tangible ways, like, yes, here's how to do it. As opposed to like somebody just like taking your work, (laughs) just like just removing you from the process entirely. Like, I just think there's so much to learn from each other and there's so much space for, you know, getting rid of this loneliness in this, in this culture and in the industry that you will be so disrespected in, it will never be taken seriously. Like it's very hard for go go to your family dinner and tell your grandmother that you're posting on Instagram for a living. Like it's it's gonna 
take a hot second before they take that seriously or respect it as to if you went and told them that you were, you know, a marketing director of whatever, you can just rename what it is that you do. And people will be like, Ooh, don't say influencer. Do not say influencer. Nobody will respect it, right? So it's a very unrecognized, disrespected, I guess, job title and job space and in creators and entrepreneurs in general. Like they have a really hard time like having that legitimacy or having those boundaries and balance. So I would love to kind of create something that really supports people through that because I've kind of seen it on all ends of the spectrum. I could talk about this. We could go forever. I know. I'm so I, if your podcast was half an hour, this is now a two-parter. So sorry. <laughs> two pods. Um, yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was nice to connect with you. And I think we're hopping over to your podcast now. I have to pee first though. That's for sure. So yeah, I will see you soon on the papaya podcast. Thanks so much. Okay. See ya. Whoa.